Blog Talk Radio. Aprite un po' quegli occhi, uomini incauti e sciocchi, guardate queste femmine, guardate cosa son, guardate cosa son. Hi, this is Mildred Tisomi and Jason Marcus, and this is Welcome to the Neighborhood, New York. Um, hi, Jason. How are you? I'm well, Mildred. Myself. Good. Good. Um, yeah, I thought we'd start off today by let's uh, catch up on the latest um, in the mortgage real estate world this week, and then I have a couple questions that I thought we could discuss. And uh, so, if you'll start off. Absolutely. Um, rates uh, at the tail end of this week started to inch up, uh, but I wouldn't be overly concerned about that, and I'll explain briefly why and what's been going on. Um, as of the beginning of April, so maybe just a little bit over a month, um, the ruling to the mark-to-market um, rule was changed. Um, to make things a lot easier in regards to um, accounting for major corporations and banks. So when that happened, obviously, we've seen a very, very um, consistent increase in the stock market. Now, at the same time, what's been going on is um, the government has methodically been buying the mortgage-backed securities. And if you've listened to me um, have this discussion multiple times, you know that that's what drives interest rates down, the purchases of the mortgage-backed securities on the secondary market. So we're starting to see um, the economy slowly but surely coming back. Um, Interest rates have been, every time they start to come up a little bit, the government's been buying these securities, which have been driving them back down, which I foresee, you know, continuously throughout the course of this year. Now, the one thing that um, I've been kind of trying to get out there, and I will more and more as we continue through the course of this year and we get towards the end, um, interest rates right now, because of what the government's been doing, Mildred, um, is almost artificially staying low. And at some point in time, when they decide that the economy is back on its feet and they stop buying these, we're probably going to be starting to see interest rates um, flipping into the next year, getting back into that normal six, six and a half percent range. So once again, um, even though I might not be doing it yet, um, as I get draw closer and closer to probably the later part of summer, I'm going to start to really, really uh, make a push to get out there. The fact that you got to take advantage of these interest rates before they go away. Yes, I, I think you're absolutely right, um, and I think your explanation as we've, as we've been having the ongoing discussion has been very helpful to understand some of the big picture. Um, so, I, and I think everybody, they always want the lowest part, you know, they want the lowest, and they always say by the time you can see where the lowest is, it's all the way, you're starting to, you know, you've missed it. So, um, I, I think that's absolutely right. Um, how about, I have a question about pricing, unless you, do you have any other comments about things this week, um, anything? 
I'll tell you in my world. Or any other news? Yeah, in your world. <laughs> in my world, I've been just, uh, well, first, I, I've i been out unbelievably busy. Um, actually getting yelled at by the missus because she hasn't seen me in four days. But that's the price you got to pay, obviously. You know, when it comes like this, you just got to, you know, grab the reins and, and go with it. And it's been great. Um, I'm starting to get used to because this was really the first week also they implemented that new system in regards to appraisals being ordered. Right. Yes, that's um, what I want. Where, yeah, we can't, just, we can't talk to as, um, you know, mortgage planners, um, processors, loan officers, none of us anymore can talk directly to the appraiser. So I'm starting to make myself comfortable with the faction of the bank that actually handles this and making sure that, the communication's open for the things I need to, uh, you know, obviously advise the appraiser on or even get some sort of answers in regards to specific properties. So that's been a little bit of an adjustment this week, but it seems it seems like it's going to wind up working out fine. It'll probably um, be a good systematic way to keep things honest um, and keep things flowing in regards to banks with appraisals. So that's one thing that I noticed on uh, this particular week. Uh, regard, regarding that, is, so you would still put together your comps um, to give to the appraiser, just especially on unique properties. I mean, there's some that are pretty much standard, but then especially on the unusual ones or, you know, the older ones in a village where they're unique, that kind of thing. Should, you, should a real estate agent still put together information to give to the appraiser as in the past? I think it's more important than ever because what was going on for such a long time when it came down to um, the appraiser-bank relationship was that appraisers were so nervous that a bank was going to wind up throwing them off their approved appraiser list um, or get scrutinized. A lot of times they were, um, instead of doing it accurately, they would you know, feel the pressures and try to push envelopes in a lot of cases um, and overvalue things, where now um, they have pretty much um, no recourse from the banks in regards to fears of losing those accounts, so they can actually be as accurate as possible. But on the flip side, that kind of makes a lot of people nervous because now we're, as opposed to them being aggressive and overly aggressive, now we're getting to the point where we're kind of getting a feel that they might be being ultra conservative. So if I'm a realtor and I have um, concerns of value coming in, I would definitely have the um, documentation at that appraisal to support why me as a realtor price this house or obviously a listing agent if you're, you know, just the, the uh, purchaser's agent, then I probably would have the conversation with the listing agent and maybe the two of you kind of get together and come up with those important comps um, to try to get ahead of any sort of issue that might arise. Because as we know, right now, um, it's been a really crazy time when it comes down to um, this power struggle between sellers and buyers um, where buyers now, more so than ever, are so inclined to, if they don't get, the, get what they want, take the ball and go home. 
you know? Mm -hmm. So you don't want to have these situations, especially with value, getting into a, um, you know, into a bidding or a, a price war after you've already established a deal, you know? Yeah. Um, let's, one thing I want to talk about, and this might be a good time, is the pricing. Um, people, it's very interesting. We, we have a program, a mapping program, and that's really very good. And you set up searches, and people can look and schedule, and, and it really works well. It, and the problem that I see at this point is you have the overpriced home from a seller, an individual seller. And then you have the bank or the REO or the short sales that are priced low but firm. So say even say even 400. You have a house that, so when you do the search, you have a 400 house that the, the seller really thinks they're going to sell for 350 or 320 or something. They've got it, you know, hugely overpriced. But then you have the 400 that's the firm, and it's almost you, you've got these two lumped together where they're not really because the, the the individual homeowners are still overpricing. Would you say that? I mean, I, is is that clear as far as what I'm seeing? Um, I think that's that's a, that's absolutely accurate, and um, that's kind of why when I have these discussions um, with you know, friends, clients, what have you, when they're out there, um, you know, starting to get into looking for, um, for houses. I naturally tell them, listen, okay, the first thing that you need to do is contact um, a realtor familiar with this area um, to weed through these situations because you're going to get um, these certain houses, especially those overpriced houses. Like, a realtor knows that that, that, that this particular house is overpriced on the market, and they're going to know um, if a house is priced right on the market and be able to advise you of that. So that way not to get your hopes up, because one of the things that is the most frustrating is walking into one of these overpriced houses, realizing, okay, I'm going to make a $320,000 bid on this $400,000 house. The seller's not even going to entertain the offer, and now I'm going to get into this back-and-forth struggling negotiation, which is going to inevitably not even work out because we're too far apart. Um, I think it's more important than ever that uh, you utilize the experienced, knowledgeable people in these industries to weed through these um, particular locations that you're never going to get in based on the price range that you're looking in. Obviously, any good realtor is going to pre-approve their client. Me as a, a mortgage planner is always going to establish budget. We're going to know where a person needs to be and what their final high offer can be. And we're also going to know if we have a seller that's listing um, something ridiculously above market just to try to make these things um, break even in a sense. Um, we know that we don't want to be showing our clients those types of houses. Because it seems to me, and this isn't in the seller's mind, they figure, okay, we'll price it 100000 over because then somebody's going to come back low, and then I can drop it 
okay, because, of course, it's going to sit there. Um, then then I'll drop it 50000 and then I still have fifty to negotiate with. That seems to be their logic, so that well, they're assuming it won't sell, it's going to sit there, then they'll drop it 50 then somebody will come in, and they still have to negotiate to a price to get to their price. But it doesn't seem with the new appraisal system and the new, you know, stringent regulations that that mentality is going to work any longer. Do you, your thoughts on that? Well, I'll tell you this, okay. If we, if we start to stabilize and, you know, prices of houses stop depreciating and a seller doesn't have to move, then I guess there's no, you know, no harm, no foul. They're just never going to get, they're not going to get rid of their house anytime soon. But as right. if we remain in a depreciating market, Steve Harney, who's uh, a national trainer, and if you have never seen him or heard him, uh, you should actually try to check out one of his um, seminars. Um, not you, Mildred, I'm just talking to obviously everybody else. I know right. you've seen him. Yeah. Um, he says he's probably gave one of the best analogies I've ever uh, heard in regards to this, it, it, to sellers, and he tells sellers this all the time. It's like imagine having a ball in your hand, and you're holding your arm outstretched, and this ball's in your hand. Is it going to be easier to catch the ball after you let go of it from trying to re-grab it from the top, or is it better to have your hand underneath um, to catch the ball? Obviously and naturally, having your hand underneath um, is going to make it so that way you can catch the ball. This analogy meaning if you price your house right in the market and maybe even a shade underneath the market, chances are you're going to wind up being able to sell that as opposed to overpricing it. And as that mar market drops, trying to get somebody to buy that house chances are you're not going to be able to sell it and you're going to continuously lose money. If you're sitting there in a depreciating market that's losing, you know, 1%, 2% a month, all you're doing is giving away a profit that could have been there if you priced your, your house right. So for those people that are not pricing their house right, not listening to the realtor, um, they're really making a mistake and they're losing money. In the long run, it's going to hurt them more than help them. Yeah. I think this is one of the most difficult concepts in the whole buying and selling real estate transaction process. Everything else is real, you know, from a buyer's perspective, they have a limit. Um, and uh, then there's the transaction, the marketing of the listing, it's all pretty much, you know, you do for each individual house. But the pricing, is the one that's got a lot of emotion in it, and um, it's very—it's a difficult concept to to understand how to price it. That you, if you price it under a little bit, that you're more likely to get the full price, and maybe even a little more, because you're going to have a lot of activity. People just don't believe it. Um, and, yeah, people uh, don't realize that you can still create a bidding war on a house, and that's the smartest way to go about selling something, almost like an eBay type of concept. It's like, yeah, you have your mark set, um, but if you've set it properly and even below the bar, there is a pent-up buyer's rage out there going on. There are a ton 
of buyers looking at houses right now and looking for a solid deal. You show up with a solid deal, you get a couple of these people realizing this. Um, all of a sudden, you know, things are selling, and in a couple of cases that I've seen recently, above, if not at asking price. So, mm -hmm. I mean, I would probably take a smarter strategy if I was a seller and try to do it that way than to be a foolish, naive person and think by putting it $100,000 above where it actually is that you're likely to get that. And the telltale sign with that is when you do open houses, nobody shows up and you get no offers. That, mm -hmm. that you should, as a seller, should automatically, like the red light should go off and you should know, okay, I have to sit down and let the realtor, the experienced person in this market, deal with getting rid of my house instead of me trying to dictate to them what needs to be done. Right, and and I just think, it, like I said, I think it's the most difficult concept in the whole, from both sides, um, because there is emotion in it. Uh, yes, you've done a lot, you've raised your family, so you have that emotional component, which, you know, takes logic out of there. <laughs> and um, it's, you know, even though people say that there's buying, the sellers want to think it's the sell. Oh, that, now they're going to want it. Now they're going to want to pay the prices that they were, and that's just not going to happen. So, um, you know, you do your best to explain it, but uh, and, and then especially with the appraisals, the way the appraisers are just going to come in and they're just looking at it, and if you overprice it and if somebody's naive enough, they're not going to get the mortgage. So right. you've wasted all that time, and they still, unless they have the cash, they're not going to get the mortgage. So, so yeah, uh, there's a lot of factors involved, and in this point in time, there's enough quality information, um, enough knowledge, enough good people in both the banking side and the real estate side um, that you can do this right. But the one thing that you have to, if as you know, a seller, realize is that you don't know the market better than these people that I just mentioned. Mm -hmm. And if you really want to um, get your house sold at as much as you can possibly get it for, um, like I was saying before, don't try to dictate to the experienced people that understand this whole concept what your house is worth because all you're going to do is be one of these statistics on I can't sell my house and I've had it listed for two years. So mm -hmm. that's the best advice we can possibly give people out there in this point in time. And then what I also do is I set them up in, I set a buyer or a seller up in, a, in the mapping program and I set up the search for the homes in their town and then also what their competition will be in surrounding areas, whether if it's a if it's a a location, a commuting location, you know, I pick those towns. If it's a they want large lots, well, maybe the next town over um, is you know is a competitor to them. So that then you can look at and actually see and do some of the analysis yourself to educate yourself. What's your real competition? Just because there's nobody on your block or six blocks around, 
what you know that gives them a chance to really see what their buyer's hat on, see what a buyer's looking at, and what's going to drive them to their house. Um, so I think that's another good thing to do. So um, what I wanted to talk about right now is um, Keller Williams Greater Nassau is doing. They have a day of service. Um, and they have on May 19th, they're working with the inn um, in Hempstead at the a food um, soup kitchen. And um, I know Credit Suisse, they just gave their employees a day, one day a year that they get to go and do a project, a community service project. So I just wanted to, uh, Keller Williams is coming up this May, and I just wanted to talk about the inn um, it's called, and let me get my notes here, the IN is the Interfaith, Interfaith Nutritional Network, and they address the issues of hunger and homelessness on Long Island. And, they ha and they're, they're a 501c corporation. They have um, 19 soup kitchens on Long Island that are staffed by volunteers, mostly operated by volunteers. They serve 300,000 meals annually. That's pretty impressive. They offer three, um, they have three emergency shelters in Nassau County, two for homeless families and one for homeless men. They offer long-term housing. They have 25 um, families in a long-term program. They have case management. So they help them get back on their feet and be self-sufficient, which is a good thing. You know, it, it, it's such difficult times that people need help. So they they offer that. They have a veterans program, veterans housing program, which is really good. Um, they work with the veterans groups, and this program is um, in conjunction with the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. And um, so that's that's a good thing. And supply they always need supplies. They do tutoring for children and parents. They have vocational training. So their website is the in the it's the and then i n n dot org. It's the dash i n n dot org. It's really a nice website. Gives you a lot of information, and it'll be you'll be able to. See if you want to help. A lot of people want to volunteer places. They don't know exactly where to go. Um, with 19 soup kitchens, there's enough places for you to um, find some place. So anyway, that's that's one thing that uh, and Keller Williams. We have 20 people, I guess, and you can as a company go over there. We have 20 people that are going to go over there at 8:30 in the morning. Till around two, they prepare the meal, they serve the meal, and um, we'll have that up on Facebook. Um, some pictures, some links, um, some ways that your company, the directions, will do an interview with the director. So if anybody has any questions, they could uh, ask. So that's one thing. Um, I don't know uh, if you were going that day, Jason. I know we had so many people that um, not everybody could go. They could only take 20 for the particular shift that we picked. So, um, but it's really a, it's a good uh, organization. So the second thing I wanted to bring up was a very interesting um, approach from the racetrack chaplaincy. Nick Harris was on about six weeks ago. And um, as part of Click It, 
which is my fabric arts group, we do um, we do uh, clothing drives, and we did a food drive with um, Al Fulgeri a few weeks ago that we gave the food um, from the King Cullen in New High Park to the racetrack chaplaincy. And so they have a page, um, and he, the chaplain, and I can't ever remember his name. I'm looking it up right now. Um, he uh, he did a very interesting thing, just like the the movie, tw uh, the TV series 24. You know, each hour, each hour through his day, he posted what he was doing, and it gave you an insight to the different functions. There happened to be there were some interesting situations, and I'm, I'm you know so some of it was just the normal, and then some of it was things that happen when you're dealing and trying to work with different populations um, throughout the day. So it's very interesting. You can it's up on Facebook. Um, I'll post a link on a, on our Welcome to the Neighborhood Facebook page to send you over there. But I the one thing that I thought aside from that it was interesting. It was like some people get up on Facebook and they put, uh, you know, a more, you know, a real social thing, you know. They, but they flip from business to social, business to social, and his really fit what giving us a glimpse into someone's life. So it was like a personal thing, but it 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 added to understanding the racetrack chaplaincy and what they can do. So I thought it was very interesting. Um, so those are my two comments. Uh, do you have anything? Uh, I know, Jason, you do another uh, a radio show during the week. Do you want to make any comments about that? Anything sure. Anything uh, this week? Yeah, uh, we've been having a lot of fun doing uh, this program on Wednesday, and it's, it's really starting to... Uh, has some teeth, uh, getting a lot of good information out there. And I'll tell you, my three other partners are absolutely hysterical. Um, it's on between 7 and 8. You can catch us on 1240 or 1440 a.m. on Wednesdays. And uh, if you want, you can listen to it streaming live, www.am1240.w. Uh, gbb.com and uh, like I said it's been very informative to our, uh, to people that have been listening but more importantly it's been so much fun Mildred um, <laughs> obviously I have a great time doing it with yourself a little different with there uh, just because we're like literally in a studio audience the headsets uh, the mics the whole nine so it's been great yeah, no, it's good. And we actually even taped it the other day. Jason and I were playing around with that. We'll start to put some of our clips up on um, YouTube as well that you can access from Facebook um, because I think some of the things that we've been talking about are extremely interesting. I mean, the, the FHA loan uh, program, I, we did a little clip on that, and I've got that divided out because... You don't realize. Maybe could you give us just a couple minutes about that program? Just about just uh, regular FHA? No, the one with the construction loan. Oh, the uh, FHA 203K? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. That, that's easy enough. Um, 
what they have, the FHA, is they have a rehab type of program. So what you can do is you can go into a house that um, you, you need some work done in it, be it as little as, you know, a few thousand dollars or, you know, a big project, maybe uh, $40,000, $50,000. So what the FHA allows us to do is they allow us to incorporate the costs of the repairs into the mortgage. So let's just say for argument's sake, Mildred, you found something that you liked and the agreed price was 250 You need um, $50,000 worth of work. We can structure a mortgage where that work will be done. And there's a process, which I'm not going to get totally into because it's a little bit in detail. But um, you can make it so that way you'd put as little as 3.5% down and still be able to, um, over the course of the next three to six months, have that work started, done, completed, finished, you have the house that you uh, always wanted, and six months later, and it was most of it was financed. Yeah. Oh, good. Um, we only have about a minute left, so um, and we do ha- we will have a clip on that, but so many people don't know about that program. So that's the 203K? That's 203- FHA 203K. Okay. And, um, yeah, anybody that would like to have – I have a PowerPoint presentation on it, so you can always contact me, and I'll be more than happy to uh, explain it thoroughly to anybody who would uh, like to know about it. Okay, good. Um, so, again, what we'll do is we'll put um, a link to Jason um, on our homepage for welcometotheneighborhoodny.com and um, links to Facebook where you can get some of these resources. Uh, so, well, thank you very much. What's uh, coming up this week? Any reports or... It should be a pretty interesting week. Um, if, you go, if you contact me on, uh, on Monday, uh, I don't have it in front of me, so I apologize, Mildred, on what exact government reports are coming out. Um, but I can have a detailed list uh, produced for anybody who would like to know this week. It is going to be a rather important week. I remember reviewing it. I just can't remember what's going on off the top of my head right now. Okay, so I think we're done. Thank you very much, and um, we'll talk to you next week. All right, Mildred, always a pleasure. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Bye.